Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I will be your host today. And I want to just share with you a little bit about our upcoming episode. We have an incredible individual on this episode of the Mind for Life podcast. His name is Dr. Vernard Gant. He is the director of the ACE Student Success Center with the Association of Christian Schools International. Dr. Gant's department oversees more than 650 Christian schools throughout the nation that target and serve academically disenfranchised, culturally diverse, and or economically disadvantaged children. He is a graduate of Columbia International University, Birmingham Theological Seminary, and Trinity University. He's been the recipient of numerous awards, including the prestigious Jeffersonian Award by the Jeffersonian Award Foundation in Washington, D.C., and the Paul Harris Fellow Award presented by the Rotary Foundation of Rotary International. He helped develop two schools in Birmingham, Alabama, serving uh, ACE students and has assisted in the startup of several similar schools across the nation. He has served on several boards, including the Life Skills Alternative School, the National Association of Street Schools, the Black Alliance for Educational Options, the American Center for School Choice, and he has chaired the Colorado State Advisory Committee for the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. He's been involved in urban ministry for nearly 40 years and in the parental choice movement for over 20 years. He currently resides right now in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I had an opportunity to talk with him uh, specifically about diversity, equity, and inclusion and how he approaches that subject due to the background that he has had. And you'll hear in our interview, more about his own background and uh, where he came from and how he grew up and um, how he has developed his perspectives on this. I will say that while the interview starts out as um, an interview about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it really turns and makes a very interesting turn uh, towards the middle, towards the end, about what is the responsibility of the Christian when it comes to engaging society, engaging culture, how do we do that? What is God calling us to do? And so I just enjoyed the conversation. Um, it's enlightening to me, and I hope you will as well. So please take a listen and um, enjoy. Well, thanks for uh, joining me. I appreciate you coming on and just being able to join with me and just kind of share some of your story. It would be great if you could just start out um, by sharing a little bit of your background and your story. I mentioned to you before that I had uh, an op the opportunity as, as we had met before and you had referred to your um, opportunity to be at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, I got a chance to watch that and I just was you know, intrigued and uh, blown away, I guess you could say, by just hearing your story and the very unique perspective you bring to this whole issue of diversity, equity, inclusion. So it would be great if you could just maybe share a little bit of that to give some background and context for how, how we're coming into this conversation. Okay. Well, okay, but thank you, Brother Jeff. I appreciate this opportunity to be with you, to share with your audience, and to uh, hopefully bring a different perspective so that we, we, I hope that the people of God will lead in providing the solution to the plight 
of particularly the racial tensions and, and, and divisions that continue to plague our nation. You know, it, it is indeed a, a plague of a different sort. I grew up in the South, uh, born in public housing. Uh, <laughs> didn't know that we were low income, didn't know that we were poor, you know, just, mm -hmm. and uh, had no exposure basically to whites as I was growing up. Uh, it wasn't until my junior year in high school when I was led to Christ by a member of a ministry team that was evangelizing at the Alabama State Fair that I committed my life to Christ and the church to which this person, uh, this ministry was, was basically sponsored by um, I want to say sort somewhat discipled me, but that was really kind of my introduction uh, to to whites and the, the 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 white community. And because of my interest in the things of the Lord, uh, the one of the ministers of the church really encouraged me to go to to Bible college. Now, understand this: growing up in the South. And I mean, the deep South, if you will, you know, uh, it was pretty much par as far as the racial issues that we were facing. I recall very vividly when we moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and my mother wanted to, I was sick, my mother going to take me to the doctor. Uh, she called, called around, you know, find, found a doctor. We went to the office, walked in the you know the door to the the, the doctor's office, and mm -hmm. it was just strange. Brother Jeff, all the eyes were just suddenly everybody stopped what they were doing and looking at us. Right, <laughs> you know, we kind of looking around. Yeah, we walk up to the receptionist, and she just in a very cold voice said uh, that we had to go to the back entrance. That the colored waiting room was around the back. Mm -hmm. And my mother grew up right outside of Selma. So right. I knew she was accustomed to this. But Jeff, this is, this is what made me, this was the, the single incident that raised my racial awareness, unlike anything. And I was in the ninth grade at the time, unlike anything right. in my past. When I saw the look on my mother's face, it was this, and I, I remember it vividly to this, like I'm standing right there with her right now. Right. And this look on her face, like the, the pain and the humiliation that came over her. All these folk just staring. Everybody in the, in the waiting room heard it. Right. And they just staring. And I, and I said, and I saw it. Look, I've never seen. I'm thinking, but well, mama, you're used to this. You grew up in Selma. Right, you you were right. she was used to the the segregated water fountains, the segregated restrooms, the segregated everything in 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 Selma. You were used to this. Like Brother Jeff on her face was like, yeah, but not in front of my son. It's motherly instinct to protect her child, like not in front of her son. 
And at that point I said to her, it's okay, mama, I feel better, let's go home. You know, I didn't just, I just not another moment that I wanted right. to see her trying to navigate that and, and seeing her subjected to that. That piqued my, my racial consciousness. A year later, we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. A year after that is when this person led me to Christ. And now I get to be introduced to a whole other community, a whole other people group that I heard about, but I was never exposed to. Right. But that was only the beginning because I eventually enrolled in, after graduating from high school, I enrolled in Columbia Bible College, which is now Columbia International University. And now, <laughs> I would be the only African-American male living on campus. And now I'm eating, with them, sleeping with them 24 seven. I'm immersed into this. And so if the, if becoming a Christian was a sprinkling of a baptism, <laughs> this was a full dunk. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow. And, and so, it positioned me very uniquely to have what I call my feet in two worlds that was somewhat aligned in faith, but poles apart politically, culturally, socially, racially, and every other way. Because upon graduating from Bible college, I started working at this church and I headed up their outreach ministry into the black community. And I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and it is kind of the aftermath of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting immersed in the culture of the civil rights movement. My dear, my counselor, my personal counselor and friend was Dr. Jim Crutcher who was the pastor of the 16th Street Baptist Church where the four girls were murdered as a result of the bombing at the church. Uh, my last pastor was Reverend Thomas Gilmore who followed Dr. King's brother, A.D. King at First Baptist Inslee. Uh, a movie uh, was dying on his life and the actor, he was played by Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, Reverend um, N.H. Smith, who pastored, there were, were, were kind of like four churches in Birmingham right. that were the hub for the gatherings of the civil rights movement. Reverend Smith's church, uh, New Pilgrim Baptist, was one of those. And I was working the, with, the, with Reverend Smith's uh, deacons in discipleship and forced a very close relationship with him. He invited me to go with him to Atlanta to a banquet honoring Coretta Scott King. It was the first opportunity I had to meet uh, Mrs. King. And we sat at the table with his dear friend, Andrew Young. <laughs> so here I am, a young guy, you know, and he, these guys are just chum, just like charming friends and, and, and they're just, lightheartedly talking about the movement, uh, the times they went to jail, 
conversations with Dr. King, with Fred Shuttlesworth, these, <laughs> these icons, you know, they're just talking matter-of-factly about it. And so now, <laughs> I have a second row seat to history. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to these two vanguards of uh, the movement. And I'm, I'm captivated by it. It was messer. It was, you talk about intriguing. It was very intriguing uh, to me. And it was kind of like, and it, it squarely planted me now in this world of the Christian folk, the African-American Christian pastors who were at the forefront of the civil rights movement, but at the same time serving on the staff of one of the most conservative evangelical churches, white evangelical churches in Birmingham. I mean, this church did not even vote to segregate right. until the, the early 70s, you know, mm -hmm. uh, at, at the time that I was becoming a Christian. I mean, so it was just, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm having this opportunity to go back and forth between these two worlds. Over here, they would say, over here, the, 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 the white conservatives, they would say, I bet Dr. King was not a Christian. And over here, it was, oh, Dr. Queen, Dr. King was a person who epitomized uh, Christianity. I was sitting in a staff meeting and the, one of the leaders would say, oh, I don't see how a person could be a Christian and not be a Republican. Then I come over here and they would say, I don't see how those Republicans can even call themselves Christian because right. they are not promoting the gospel. It was a, you know what I'm saying? I would just like, I would go back and forth. And yet, they both name the name of Jesus. They both confess salvation through faith by grace, right? They both express the love of the Father who created them in his likeness. So they had that bond, yet polar opposites. And I said, how is this? How is it that people could be members of the same family under the same roof where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, right? Where we're all going to inherit these many rooms and yet be so polarized. And that's when it presented itself to me that we were not following. We, we had embraced, Jeff, I call a Christianity. Right. We, were, we were all claiming the same Christianity. But it became extremely apparent to me that we did not embrace Christ-likeness. Because in John 13, 37, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Not like, not like the commandment of old, but he's a new commandment I give to you. And that is that you love one another. Well, I, I question, Lord, what do you mean? Why do you call it a new commandment? That commandment was given back in Leviticus 19, 18. That's old. Why are you calling it new? 
To which the response I got from the text was, look, as I have loved you. Mm -hmm. So the key is if we love the way that Christ loved, Christ's love transcended the differences. So that while the people of God would reject Zacchaeus, because he was a chief tax collector and socially unacceptable, he was a sinner. Christ's love transcended the differences. And as a result, Zacchaeus was transformed. Jesus' love transcended the cultural barrier. And as a result, many men of a Samaritan village dedicated their lives to Christ. So Jesus is saying, love the way that I love. If you love the way that I love, that love would transcend whatever barriers that society has told us that this is how we are to comport ours. We're not supposed to have anything to do with those people right. over there, right? And our Christianity permitted that because this church that a member led me to Christ had as a policy that Blacks could not attend. The school, the Bible college that I went to had only recently opened their doors to allow Blacks to enroll, American Blacks to enroll. So see, our Christianity allowed for those barriers to be up that we don't associate with or that we discriminate against. But the love of Christ, that's why when, it, when I heard this debate, well, Bernard, you know, the Bible doesn't condemn slavery and et cetera. <laughs> yeah, your, your Christianity may allow you to adopt that posture, but Christ specifically said <laughs> Right. That he came to set the captives free. Right. So Christ's likeness would not allow what historically Christianity has allowed. Mm -hmm. And so my my charge to both camps, <clears throat> both tribes, however you want to describe it, is listen. A new commandment. Let's try something new, because if we keep modeling after society, if we keep applying societal solutions, guess what we're going to get? Societal results. Right. Let's try something new. A new commandment, love the way that Christ loved. And here's, what, here's the power in this. What Jesus demonstrated by his transcending love was the power of that love to transform the recipients of that love. Right. The people of God did not transform Zacchaeus. The people of God did not transform the Samaritans. The people of God who had the Leviticus 19 commandment made no difference in their culture, in their society. They made no difference. Christ comes with the transcendent love of the Father. And so now, 
people who were sinners, Zacchaeus says, if I'm wrong anybody, I'm gonna make it right. And I'm gonna give half of what I have to the poor. Wow, that's a transformed life. Men of Sychar said, we believe now <laughs> because of what we have. Right. We have that's a, mm -hmm. Those were transformed lives because of the transcendent love of God. So when people ask me, well, Bernard, what's the solution? What is racial tension? And that's what are the people of God to do? Very, very simple. A new commandment. Take, let's take a new commandment. We're not going to overcome it by applying. The, we're not going to overcome it by who's in the White House. We're not going to overcome it by who can who controls the Congress, who's a majority in the Congress. We're not going to overcome it by passing one law after another law after another law after another law. You're not going to overcome it that way. And if we're looking to the world to come up with a solution, then we're thinking well, that means that the world can outdo the people of God. When it comes to transforming a society, something is wrong with that picture, Brother Jack. Mm -hmm. But if the people of God are bringing the transcendent love of God, so we trans, we don't do away with the differences. Jesus didn't make Zacchaeus say, first you got to stop being a chief tax collector. He didn't go tell us who First you got to you got to turn from your Samaritanism, right? Right. <laughs> He started with him accepting them. He transcended the differences. They didn't matter. And as a result, lives were transformed. I tell you, we got the solution. Mm -hmm. We're sitting on the solution. Well, let's have a heart. We're mimicking the world. Right. And expecting a different outcome. outcome. Mm -hmm. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Uh, let me ask you a question. Um, from your own perspective, you, you said growing up, you really did not have a lot of contact with whites in, growing up. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm assuming it was a white individual that came and led you to Christ. Yeah, like she um, was a member of this church. And so it was a white, very white conservative evangelical church. Because up until a year before then, they wouldn't even allow blacks to attend the church. And so they come to the community they reach out to you. What was it? How did God work in your heart there? I mean, back at that experience, you know, had you not had any type of spiritual background or heritage or anything like that? And how did God work in your heart? Yeah, I did not. Matter of fact, uh, that was only one person I thought my aunt was the only person I thought maybe was a Christian if, it, if such a thing. Uh, I never even believed that you could be a Christian unless your good works outweigh your bad works, right? And so right. my brother and I had concluded, ah, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, brother, we made peace with hell. We said, well, the, <laughs> the redeeming yeah. value, everybody we know is gonna be there. <laughs> so yeah. it, it might just be hotter, <laughs> but it, it'll be very familiar Yeah. <laughs> But uh, my heart was ready because when she shared that, that um, 
that I could know that evening that I could spend eternity in heaven with God. How? Because of what Christ had done. All of my bad, right? My, my good had to outweigh my bad. I had too much bad. Mm -hmm. All of that bad, right? Christ took it upon himself, paid for it, done. And by faith right now, I could put my faith in that. Man, I was so ready. <laughs> I right. prayed that evening. And, uh, you know, at the, it was the last night of the uh, state fair, so the fireworks went up. And I said, oh, that must be a sign from God. A sign from God. <laughs> it happened, I, right? Jeff, I was so excited. Um, now, understand this. I didn't know another person who was a Christian. Right. I'm in high school. I'm in 11th grade in high school. I didn't know another a single person. And but I was so excited. I wanted everybody to experience. And so that that uh, <laughs> that week, that same weekend, the first person I led to Christ was my girlfriend, the girl mm -hmm. I was dating at the time. Mm -hmm. I, she she was wondering why I was be behaving so differently. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, Hey, I got Christ in my life now. <laughs> I said, you, 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 what, what do you mean? You got Christ. I said, Christ is in my heart, right? Said, How? And, and I shared with her, yeah, I am a maybe 48-hour-old baby. Right. Led her to the Lord. I had my, my classmates. Uh, my classmates uh, in, in 11th grade, we, every Friday, we were in chemistry, I was in chemistry, and every Friday, we had chemistry exam, and we would get together, we had a study hall just before the class, and we would get together and uh, figure out how we're going to get, you know, how we're going to exchange notes, mm -hmm. exchange notes, right? Like an exam, right? And um, then I discovered, I didn't know it. But I discovered that it was wrong to cheat. This is mm -hmm. to cheat because that's a form of stealing and lying. Oh, wow. Now I can't do that anymore. But here's what I said. You know, I don't, I was like the, you remember the story of the lepers in Israel when, right. when Syria had, had camped, had blockaded them, folk were starving, the lepers discovered. That the, the that they had abandoned the camp. There's food there. That and food and all kind of goodies. And they said, "Well, listen, we can't keep this to ourselves. It's not right." Right. And, uh, and so that was my mindset. I can't keep this for myself. And so there was a program called the uh, the Andrew. That was the Andrew Principle. And it followed the, the story of Peter's brother who first found Peter, right? He first found his brother. And so on these Andrew cards, you list the names of folk that you would commit to praying for until they gave their lives to Christ. Right. And I had so many friends in my chemistry class, class my, my, in, my, in my school, rather, that I had two cards. And I wrote back in front, name, list of names back in front of the cards as well as my own siblings, my brothers. And um, at the beginning, so this is October 
it's October 11, 1971, that I gave my life to Christ. So it's at the beginning of the school year, basically. Uh -huh. And I started praying for every one of those classmates. By the, every night, I would take those cards out. I would kneel on the side of my bed, put those cards on the bed, and I would call every night before God. Lord, do for them what you've done for me. Lord, and I have a name there. Lord, do for them what you've done. By the end of that junior year, we would gather in that same study hall, not to look at how we're going to exchange notes or cheat and cheat, but we would gather for prayer mm -hmm. and ask the Lord's blessing on us. Every one of those names on that card, with the exception of one, every one of my classmates right. committed their, their life their lives to Christ mm -hmm. um, by the end of that, that, uh, that junior year. And all of my brothers did the same so that two brothers became ministers. Mm -hmm. This is starting out with not knowing a single Christian. Mm -hmm. right? And um, God just um, using that, right? to share the gospel. But I discovered another thing that was equally as important as sharing the gospel, because it's what got the girlfriend's attention, it's what got my classmates' attention when I wasn't getting in the circle to exchange notes in it. Right. I had my, I said, when I shared with them, <laughs> their eyes kind of bucked as was my girlfriend, when I shared with them, I can't cheat anymore. I've discovered that that's wrong. And I have given my life to Christ. And I don't want to do anything that displeases or dishonors him. I'm going to trust him. Mm -hmm. Right. To do that. And so I discovered that it is equally as important to show the gospel. Right. As it is to share the gospel. As a matter of fact, Peter would say, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he would tell wives that even if their husbands are not believers, you don't get more intimate in a relationship than husband and wife. Peter told those wives that they could comport themselves in such a way that even if their husbands did not believe, they could be one without a word. That's mm -hmm. ah. He said, you could show the gospel to your husband, even if you don't have the opportunity to share the gospel. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's missing today in this right. whole, what people are looking for. When we behave the same way, when politics does to us, what politics does for the people in the world, right? When racial tension does for us what racial tension does to people in the world. It's a missed opportunity, right? So even if we never have an opportunity to share it, if we show the love of Christ, right, that would be more powerful in winning and in transforming than if we did all of the sharing in the world, but never showed it. Right. right? Because mm -hmm. 
They became saying, wait, wait a minute, you're you're acting the same way, if not worse. You're saying the same things, if not worse. Mm -hmm. What difference has it made in your life? It's the reason that you're pushing it so hard or so fervently on others. Right. Um, that brings up a, an interesting point. <clears throat> Some people have made, I don't know if it's a generalization in a sense that uh, typically the assertion is made that white evangelical conservative churches have been more concerned with what you would say is sharing the gospel and getting people to make that personal commitment Right. Whereas African-American churches uh, are concerned with that, you know, that social justice element and showing the gospel. Do you see that as, you know, as generalized as it has been? And is there, you know, a, a middle ground, a pathway within that for both well, people to kind of come and... Yeah, you know, that to me is the same as the um charges that the right conservative evangelicals were saying that the black preachers were preaching a social gospel the black preachers were saying that the white evangelical churches were preaching an ethereal right not following the gospel of jesus christ who came and said the heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty those who are captives, right. recover the sight to the blind, etc. Right. And it says this kind of charges. Right. And to me, those are non-reconcilable. What I mean by that is this. If we if if denomin denominations were as divisive as the issue of race, can you imagine? The kind of shape that we would be in today, right? Right. If 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 the Presbyterians were charging the Baptists with not being Christian, or that what they were doing was just wrong and it was damaging to society, can you imagine the kind of divide that you would have there at the school mm -hmm. if it were if denominationalism? Correct was at the same level as racialism. Right. And these charges will always go back and forth. You know, if if being a Democrat, if this Republican Democrat, if we were just contentious so that we despise, one group despised the other group to the point that we would not associate, we would not fellowship, we would not have anything to do with those and then these charges would go back and forth to me like liturgy styles of worship you know these things boil down to preferences mm -hmm. and i put them in the camp of romans chapter 14 where paul talks about one person prefers one type of diet and another person prefers another type of diet by the way they both swear that their diets are based upon the word of God. So mm -hmm. not just like, <laughs> not just like this is my dietary preference. It's like, right. 
one person extincts one day, another person extincts all day, but they're getting there basing it on the word of God. Right. And he say, listen, what you're doing is judging that uh, you're judging a person who ultimately is a servant of the Lord. Mm-hmm. My suggestion is that we take ourselves out of grading, out of judging. There's a time will come, Brother Jeff, when we will sit in judgment, but it's premature right now. Mm-hmm. So we take ourselves out of those as opposed to grading one another's preferences, how we worship, what we believe denominationally, what we believe in terms of, of politics, these things that the scripture does not say, yea, nay, thou shalt, thou shalt not about. If we take ourselves out of that, while at the same time allowing others to have those differences. And here's the key. At, at your school, you cannot tell on a day-to-day basis which denominational camps students belong in and the staff and parents belong. You cannot tell. I guarantee you, unless right. they wore unless they wore t-shirts or something <laughs> that said that, unless they had caps <laughs> that, right. that you know signified, you don't know. And yet their denominational differences could be, their eschatology could be poles apart. Their liturgy, styles of worship, you got Pentecostals over here. You got your Quakers, your your Presbyterian. Their their styles of worship could be poles apart, but they can tell you something. Here's the key. They have those differences. They are allowed those differences. They are not judged on the basis of those differences. So those differences at your school make no difference. That's what we got to reach. That's what right. we got to I'm telling you that if you, people say, well, Bernard, what would success look like? I said success would look like denomination, denominationalism. That's what success would look like. So that <laughs> if they didn't tell you you wouldn't know. And even after they told you, it wouldn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. If we can reach that point in this relation so that it's diffused or to the point that the love of Christ in us makes it reach after us to reach a level where that's so minor. Right. That, that's so minor because if we try to if you try to, let's say we're going to have a unity political rally. I just, we're going to have a unity rally. <laughs> so we want the Democrats and the Republicans, and we want to strike a happy medium. <laughs> so what does it mean? Everybody give up and become an inter- independent? Right. But then you got to have a third, <laughs> right? <laughs> All that you've introduced was a third contentious component into this. Right. You're not going to reconcile Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. You're not, I'm, if I call it not, not irreconcilable, it's just non-reconcilable. It won't just lend itself to that. 
but we live together with those differences, just like a vegetarian can live <laughs> with a non-vegetarian at the school. You don't, you won't know unless they told you, oh, I don't eat, I don't eat meat. And even if they said it, okay, right. <laughs> no, no, no different. The differences, getting to the point where the differences make no difference is what would cause, what would cause the world to sit up and take notice. But the only way we're gonna rob at that is with the power of God at work within us. Mm-hmm. That transformative power of God that has been poured out in our hearts, Romans 5, 5, by the spirit of God. And so when I'm seeing these things, I'm agreeing with Paul. When I'm seeing the kind of division, the kind of anger, the kind of resentment, the kind of whatever, I said, the only way you could describe that is carnal. Mm-hmm. It's being fleshy. Right. And you, you're reacting in the flesh you, because you can't say that's the spirit of God. You cannot, you cannot say the spirit of God is taking sides there and you're on, and he's on your side and he's against all these people over here. You cannot say. So Paul would say, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where one says, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. I'm a Obama, I'm a Trump, etc. Oh, Paul said that's carnal. That's fleshly. That's not right. the spirit of God. But you can hold those differences. You can own those differences. But the key, the power of God, is when those differences make no difference in the way that we treat, react to one another. And so that kind of thing calls for confession. Huh? Mm-hmm. I do it on a daily basis mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just the nature of the flesh is not going anywhere. And the only way you're going to overcome the flesh, according to uh, uh, Romans chapter eight, the only way you're going to overcome it at the end of chapter seven, Paul says, who would deliver me from this body? of death, you know, this flesh that always sticks his head up. Who would deliver me? Thank God that through Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So that if by the spirit we put to death the deeds of the things of the flesh, right? <laughs> that's, the, that, that's the key. And it is not in trying to reconcile folk from different tribes and different camps and different ideologies, right? To come together and strike. Let's let's strike this happy median right here so that we don't have Presbyterians, we don't have Baptists, we have Presbyterianists. A Baptist, that's not going to happen. Not in this, not on this side of eternity. Yeah, it doesn't appear that there can be a unity in the difference just because of the polarization. Why do you think it is that race is so polarizing? Why is it? Well, what's your feeling on that? And and I guess a question would be is 
how has God worked in your life to, you know, to even move beyond that? I'm sure growing up in your situation, there, there were people that you knew, people that harbored resentment. There's, you know, each side gets defensive when another side says something or when they feel oppression or they feel violence or they feel violated or, you know, so everybody goes through that and you grew up in a situation where I'm sure that was a common feeling. And how did God work in your heart? Well, the reason that race is so polarizing and, and, uh, and so even if you look at <clears throat> in terms of uh, Native Americans, Asian Americans, uh, any, any other ethnic or, or uh, uh, racial group, it's become polarizing when it is accompanied by um, consequences, penalties. Race, race was used to undergird slavery. Mm -hmm. Slavery, people were denied their rights, they were denied their, their um, liberty, they were denied their life, their lives, etc. And so it's one thing, for example, if you say denominational differences, there are no penalties, there are no right. consequences associated with that. You are not penalized if you hold to one denominational view versus another, right? However, uh, that that was not the case with because there was discrimination. There were right. there was uh, there were deprivations and et cetera that had been historically associated with it. You know, to the there were laws that even uh, uh, gave uh, uh, sanction to it. And so, so it, it resulted in a catastrophic war. Mm -hmm. And though the, it cost the most lives of any war in the, in the history of uh, this nation. That's the reason, because of all that, that baggage that has been uh, accompanied with it. The only way, I'm telling you this, it, 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 uh, and Dr. King, was right on in this because his central message was love. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> it was, and it was just, it, it, he, he wasn't driven by politics. For some people that you didn't see him pushing for laws uh, in the sense of Washington DC. I mean, he guess he did some of that, but his message across the board was love, and he was absolutely right. He talks about the three types of love. If you listen to a lot of his, as I have all of his recordings, I have all of his writings. You read that 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 that's that is absolutely the key, mm -hmm. and the only way to overcome it, because you never do away with it. It's like sin. You don't ever get to the point of doing. You, the Bible talks about overcoming which means that in the midst of it, you're able to surmount it, mm -hmm. right? And the only way to surmount this is with the love of God. And oftentimes I'm checked by the, the, the stark warning that if we fail to show mercy, right? <laughs> 
It said judgment would be without mercy to those who don't show mercy. If we fail to forgive, <laughs> Jesus said, you think that person owes you something? Look at what you owe God. Right. And if you fail to forgive that little something, you're running a risk of not being forgiven your insurmountable debt. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing. Um, it's the reason, you don't know if you think that, oh, I'm old time religion, but the reason I refer to people like yourself as brother, brother Jeff, you hear me say, I'm a sister, this mm -hmm. all the time. Because I, I want to have a mindset when I look at you, I don't see a white person first, foremost. I do, I never. But if I say brother Jack, brother Jack, brother Jack, brother Jack, right? Now I'm thinking of you as my brother. Because I don't do it like, oh, that's this is old school Southern religion. No, mm -hmm. I do it at ACES. I do it everywhere with anybody, everybody. Because if I have a mindset of seeing you as my brother, whom I love, right? then I perhaps that's the way I would treat you. That's the way I'm going to talk to you. And even if even if tension comes in there, right? Tension does not do away with sibling relationships. Mm -hmm. It may cause some, but we're going to come back together because we're family. Right. We have a father who delights in our unity. He loves it when we dwell together in unity. And if I develop this mindset, when I'm first thing I say to you, Brother Jeff, you know, first in, in meeting, Brother Jeff, you, know, <laughs> you don't know me that way, but yeah, but you're my brother. Mm -hmm. To me, that's overcoming because it won't, we won't do away. The, the race, the races are non-reconcilable. You would never, we'll never come out meeting somewhere in the middle in terms of race, but the way I could transcend the division is I recognize you as my brother created in the likeness of our heavenly father. And he delights, he delights in our relationship, just like every father loves it when his children are getting along after they have a squabble, if they are a polar opposites in the difference, but they get along, you know, it just somehow delights the heart of a father. And, that's, mm -hmm. and, and so that is what enables me. I don't dismiss it. I don't do like, so I'm just try to, oh, I don't see color. You know, I don't see, <laughs> that's color blindness. That's a deformity. Right. Like we're not trying to, it's not a head in the, in the sand type thing. It's to know the, recognize the, even own the differences but to reach this point where the differences. And so I was going to say, do what you need to do, right? If saying brother, sister will help you with that, if it's developing this mindset, I'm looking at an image bear. You see a person with God's, <laughs> the Lord's on their forehead, whatever you need, I'm, I'm visual. Right. <laughs> like that. So whatever you need to do, to help, because if you don't, we're all going to revert to carnality. We all, it's the default, it's natural. I don't care how long you've been in Christ. I don't care how 
deep you have gone in the Lord, the flesh will always be there. And given the opportunity, it is always going to manifest uh, itself. And the way to overcome it is with the spirit of God. That's the mm -hmm. only thing. You can't talk yourself out of flesh. No, 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 no. Right. The only way it's appropriate the spirit of God, then you, then you overcome. And again, see that to me, it's, 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 that's the, the, the gospel aspect. That's when you show the gospel. The people of the world need to see the gospel. And they're gonna only way they're gonna see it is in terms of how we relate right. to one another. By this, all men would know, Jesus said, that you belong to me, that you are my disciple. Right? And uh and and if that became the driving force as opposed to you know who who we believe should be in the White House and or who should run the Congress, if that became the driving force, I, it would ricochet throughout society. I'm, I, that's the only thing that's going to make a difference in society. I put no hope, no stock in the world coming up with the solution. It's like the darkness figuring out how to overcome darkness. That ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that even in the church, the church often turns to the government or the world to try to solve the problems. And what I hear you saying, which just really resonates with me is, I gotta fix myself first and I need God's transformative power in my own life to be able to love, right? Because if I don't have that, you know, in fact, it's you, you can't love people with the love of God, if if you don't have that love of God within you, Amen. and so Amen. it's incumbent upon us as followers of Christ to really embrace that, understand that, and then love with that same love. Well, and, and do this. I did this. I went. I spent. I spent two days at the Colson Center mm -hmm. several years ago, looking in this whole matter of culture. And I was perplexed, Brother Jeff, because uh, I, I spent an entire evening. I went through the New Testament, the entire New Testament in the evening, mm -hmm. specifically looking for either an example, an instruction, or an inference in terms of the people of God addressing culture, mm -hmm. speaking in government, et cetera. I first, first <laughs> case was John the Baptist with Herod. You know, you got Jesus with Pilate, you got Paul with the uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Roman authorities uh, of his day. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I said, I couldn't find a single instance. And I, I, I've, I've asked my colleagues, help me with it. I couldn't right. find a single instance of God was speaking to his people about, this is how you influence, or this is how you should influence society to become conformed to my ways. Mm -hmm. I, I, seriously, I couldn't find. Now, in all of these instances, you got the people of God talking to these rulers about their own lives. John the Baptist said, hey, listen, you shouldn't have your brother's 
wife. That's not right. And he paid a he paid a price for that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus didn't give Pilate any counsel in terms of how to govern. He said, Jesus said, recognize, listen, you have no authority. This is the man who's sentencing him to death. He said, you have no authority except what is given to you by God. He didn't say to him how to, <laughs> how to rule. And, I, and it hit me that God doesn't speak to his people about how to police, legislate, or regulate the behavior of others. He only speaks to us about our own behavior. You're the salt. You're the light. He said, let your light so shine that people will see it. Even if your husband is not a believer, they'll see something. You're not responsible for making your husband conform to me. You live your life in such a way. I'm telling you, man, I went through that. And the only thing, the absolute only thing that I've seen is God talking to his people about their own behavior, not how to police society, not how to make the darkness conform to the light. I, I, I you know, I said, help me, I'm missing something mm -hmm. here. Because God says, you are the solution. Mm -hmm. You are the answer. You keep looking out here to try to either import or export, but you are. Mm -hmm. And if we, and I'll tell you what, and I, I share this with folk, folk are uncomfortable with, I said, well, we don't want to become, end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're like, we're becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. I said, listen, revisit that. Go back to Genesis 20, revisit that. And read it in concert with Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning at verse 40. The reason that Sodom was destroyed, <laughs> what ultimately led to the, its demise was not the presence of wickedness. It was the absence of righteousness. Mm -hmm. 10 righteous folk, the city would have been spared. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what I mean? The darkness is acting consistent with darkness. What, what makes us think that the darkness should start acting like the light? The problem is not the presence of darkness. When a room is, oh, it's so dark in here. The we need to get this darkness out of the room. That ain't going to happen. The problem is not the presence of darkness. It's the absence of light. Mm -hmm. If our lights are shining in such a way, the darkness, the darkest of darkness cannot extinguish the tiniest of light. Right. If we, and so, I'm suggesting instead of expending all of this enormous energy that, and if we succeed so that the world somehow we get laws passed and et cetera, I'm asking this question. First Corinthians chapter 13. So if I give my body to be burned, if I give 
all that I have to feed the poor, right? If I get all of the laws passed that we want to see passed, right? If I get the president that I want, when I, I get all of these things, but have not love, right? It's not gonna make any difference. Right. We're the only ones who have been entrusted with that. I go back to Romans 5. The love of God has been poured out, shed abroad. And we're the only ones in the world. And we're the only ones who have been given that, that, that light. And we're the only ones who have been given that salt. But let me tell you something. If you take light and put it under a basket, it's the same as having no light. If you mm -hmm. take salt and extract all of the savoring <clears throat> aspect from it, it's the same as no salt. I think we have a light and salt. When people ask me, Bernard, oh, we're the, the, the declining morality, the, the culture slipping away, et cetera. I always come back to, we don't have a cultural problem. <laughs> we have a light problem. Right. We have a salt and light problem. Mm -hmm. Because the only solution out there in this world is in here mm -hmm. with the people of God. Right. And if we are not in alignment with Christ, if we're not modeling Christ likeness, I said, then here's what we do. You know, it was the people of God who co-opted the government to carry to do their bidding, right? right? They wanted to get rid of Christ. What did they do? They co-opted a secular government to carry out a religious agenda. Oh, does that not sound familiar? Right. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, brother. Mm -hmm. Right. Same thing in the book of Acts. When Caiaphas and company, Paul was a threat to the religious order. We got to get rid of him. They co-opted a secular government. It cost Paul his freedom, talk about religious freedom. It cost Paul his personal, physical freedom, right? And it would cost Jesus his life. Mm -hmm. When the people of God get so zealous for righteousness that they're getting bed with the government to carry out their agenda. But I said, hey, <laughs> let's learn. Nothing new under the sun. Right. And everything you, you I guarantee you, whatever you, whatever stress, there's a lesson for it in the word of God. Guarantee. Mm -hmm. There's an example. There's an instruction. There's an inference. Right. Uh, in the word of God. And I said, so we, I've, we've seen this play before. Here's a reluctant government Pilate didn't want to do it, but the people of God, a voting block. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they were so persuasive. If I say, oh, you know, that's a lot of them. I got to please them. Mm -hmm. For the sake of his government, I got to please this group of people over here. That they opted for a convicted criminal in the place of the sinless son of God. 
Mm-hmm. They were that zealous for it. I said, I said, listen, there's a lesson in here. Let's be careful, saints, because that was not the solution that God put forth to us. And that's why we have no, no instructions, no examples mm-hmm. of that. Only in terms of people of God and their behavior, their mm-hmm. lives. That's what's going to make the difference. You, um, what you say is a reminiscent of uh, a book I read <clears throat> called The Presence of the Kingdom by um, a guy by the name of Jacques Alul. And he was talking about, you know, he was a French sociologist who was, he got in, became, became a Christian um, and gave his life to Christ and was involved in politics. And after going through a lot of that and trying to affect change in that, in that arena, he came to the conclusion that the answer is in the person of the Christian. And he said, basically what you just stated, there's three things. Number one, you are the light of the world. Number two, you are the salt of the earth. And number three, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And to recognize how all of those three things kind of come together in in the responsibility of the believer to Amen. be the change agent in the world. Amen. And so Amen. I believe that with all word. my heart, brother. Amen. Mm-hmm. You know what? Because anything else, you know, we'll be here another 400 years. Right. I will be here another 244 years. We keep going mm-hmm. around this block looking to the world to get its act together, to start acting light, righteousness, mm-hmm. self correct, to self. <laughs> judge this uh, and uh, I said you know and it, it's a, it's 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 a sad thing because they keep looking at us uh I shared this with our legal guy uh earlier this week well at the end of last week I said Romans chapter 2 Paul was talking to the gen- the Jews about their behavior you know you're seeing, you're trying to regulate you're trying to mm-hmm. regulate you who say thou shalt not steal. You know, you try to regulate everybody's behavior. But look at your own behavior. Mm-hmm. And then he came to this conclusion: the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Mm-hmm. They see in your name, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of glorifying God, because if, if our light shine, if we allow our light to shine. In the way you know you were just talking about, mm-hmm. men would see it, and ultimately they would glorify God instead of right. glorifying God, recognizing God. They are blaspheming God because they say, "Wow, it's like is that the is is that what your God is like? Right? <laughs> is that is that what He represents? Mm-hmm. You know this this zeal for righteousness, but not according to knowledge." Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and so instead of being the witness, Jesus said we would be in Acts 1 8, right? Right. We're witnessing to the contrary. We're mm-hmm. misrepresenting God. And so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm strong, and I've been even challenging us this. I said, you know, yeah, yeah, this, 
I call it Christian culturalism. Right. You know, I said, I ask, where, where are we charged to police, mm -hmm. legislate, regulate the, what, and what do you mean by the culture? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's the, is the, uh, I, I, I always ask what it was success right it looked like right when I talk about right a level of, what was success like so that the culture that the people of this society would become conformed to the things of God is that is that so that they're going to suddenly be able to regulate their behavior mm-hmm where they don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm a sincere choir, I'm not pushing back. I just want to understand is that we want the world which does not have the spirit of the living God in it. And the fruit of that being self-control mm -hmm. to somehow self-regulate in such a way, you know, I mean, I just help me out. Right. With understanding what would constitute success and that we are taking a stand to force or to legislate or to regulate people in conformity to, to this. Is that, you know, I, I'm sorry. And, <laughs> I've asked a question in reference to John Stone Street and the whole Colson Center. And um, I, I raised the question on their website. On the Colson Center website, they had this quote from Chuck Colson. I have read, uh, how then shall we live? And all the <laughs> Colson's on the website, it said, redeeming the culture is the never ending mission of the church. Mm -hmm. So I read the, all the epistles about the church, <laughs> trying to find something. Then I said, now I got to go back. What is culture? What are we redeeming? Mm -hmm. I know about a redeemed soul. Right. The Bible talks about redemption of the mm -hmm. What is that? What, are we, what does a redeemed culture? Mm -hmm. And if that is the never ending mission of the church, I mean, is that right up there with the great? Commission, right? Is that right? And I thought I said, wouldn't it be a tactic that if you can't get people, if you want to stop people from bringing the, a solution to bear, which they have the power to do, wouldn't it be a tactic to get them chasing a solution for which they have no power? Right. <laughs> right. So now you now you're distracted, right? If I'm putting all of my energy over here, you said, but Bernard, you're the solution. Oh no, no, no. I gotta make this person be the but you never Bernard, you never control that person. Oh yes. Right. If I if I did this, if I protested, if I get laws passed, if I somehow brought pressure to bear on this person, but no, Bernard, uh, but you're taking energy away. From where you have the control and you're expending it where you have no control 
Wouldn't you say that would be a, ta- a very, a, if, if you were the opponent and you wanted right. to stop the solution, when you say, oh, here's the problem over here, Bernard, and this is where you need to expend your time, energy, and resources. Mm-hmm. I say, oh, <laughs> that would be smart. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, a, that's a tactical thing here that now, good, you're not making a difference over there, and you're not making a difference here. Here where you could actually you make could. a difference. Yeah, it's just kind of, um, unfortunately, our nature to really not look inside of ourselves and to look other places, um, to shift blame off of ourselves and onto other things where we think we can affect change and we can't. You know know how Jesus described that? Mm -hmm. Looking at a speck in somebody else's eye. It's so much easier to see specks in the eyes of others while overlooking the beam Mm -hmm. that's in your own eye, right? Hey, let me get that speck, brother. Let me get that speck out of your eye. I can't see because I got this big old beam, but yours is glaring. Your speck is jumping out at me. And wait a minute, I'll never control your speck. Mm -hmm. You know, in that sense, I I can't see that. Yeah, well, and somehow we we seem to think that it's easier to pull the speck out, and that that's gonna and we can fix it. Right. <laughs> like we would that that's easier. I can get the speck out of your eye. Meanwhile, there's a log sitting in my own, and that's exactly. gonna I, you know I don't even want to address it. Well, I don't address it because I don't have any logs in my eye. Right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a logger. I don't have right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, you make a great point. Do we really expect that culture? is going to be redeemed? Do we really expect that the mission is to legislate a morality on our culture? I mean, is there anything in the scripture that suggests culture is going to get better morally as we go through history, right? Yeah. That, that's yeah. never the case. I'll tell you what, if you find anything, I'm since the, I'm, uh, I'm asking, people think that I'm, I'm being sarcastic or being cynical, but I promise you I'm not. Mm-hmm. I am a sincere inquirer. I have asked it of the president of ACSI. And the same thing I ask of the folk at the Colson Center, Bill Brown mm-hmm. and company, I've asked. And I get the same response every time, Brother Jeff. Oh, but Bernard is obvious. Uh, my president said, uh, Bernard, uh, it's apparent that to carry out the Great Commission, you have to engage the culture. I say, I, I, you know what? I, 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 I'm, I'm pleading ignorance because no more, I don't even know what it means to engage. I know how, what it means to live in the culture. I don't know what it means to engage the culture. What are we talking about culture? And then show me biblically right. where Christ said, and to and I'm giving you this great commission. And to do so, Paul now is going to expand on that. The author of Hebrews is going to expand on it. James, Peter, John are going to expand on it. Jude is going to expand on it. Somebody's going to expand on this is how you engage the culture for redemptive purposes 
in carrying out the great commission. Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 if anybody, <laughs> I ask it of the divisional leaders, I said, guys, please help me with this because, you know, one brother said, Reverend Lloyd, you don't believe, surely you don't believe that if it's not in the scripture that we shouldn't do it. I said, on the contrary, my position would be, if it's not in the scripture, then what's the basis for doing it? On whose authority? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> because now, if it's not in scripture, if this man, this person, I don't care who he may be, let's call him Chuck Cozy. If this person is saying, I don't have any biblical authority, but I'm telling you, this is what we should be doing. I said, then, then I'm saying, I'm doing this on Chuck Colson's authority because mm -hmm. I believe in him. He's an influencer in my life and I'm following uh, Chuck Colson. But let's not call that biblically integrated. Let's mm -hmm. not call that a biblical foundation or anything like that. Let's just call it what it is. Here's a guy, I admire him. He suggested that, you know, I do this and I'm doing it the, the Chuck Colson way. Mm -hmm. or, or anybody, I'm not, not just trying to single that out. But I'm saying, if it's not in scripture, the, and we, we, we know, but, but Jeff, we swear by this biblical integration and we right. the biblical foundation and what we're endeavoring to do. But then when I ask, what well, is the biblical foundation for this? Where is it in scripture? Three things, instruction, instance or example, inference. Right? I say, I'll take one of the three. <laughs> then I can say, you know, and I'm not looking for proof texts. I said proof text means I got, I'm doing something and now I'm, I'm supporting it. I'm looking for a foundation. Mm -hmm. Just like when I share about diversity. I'm not starting with the world's diversity. I'm starting with here, the Bible talks about differences. Mm -hmm. Here are the examples we have of differences. And here are instructions about how the people of God should respond. Uh, instances of people of God responding to differences. That's, mm -hmm. that's called a biblical foundation, right? And so now I'm looking for a biblical foundation for doing so. Then you build your philosophy and your practices upon that. I'm asking the closest they came, the closest that I, to, when I look in the scripture, when looking from the scripture, what it says, in Genesis, uh, when uh, Adam is told to, subdue the earth right so and so that is that's what it means to um as far as the code we the christians are responsible for bringing the earth in subjection mm -hmm. and i, I said i said that that means that we're supposed to bring people's behavior in alignment with God, people who don't have the spirit of God, then why would you need the spirit of God? <laughs> if there was a law, Paul asked in Galatians, if there was a law that could have brought about salvation, then salvation would have been through the law, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't need right. you wouldn't need the spirit of God to do that. But it was impossible. 
the law could not bring about salvation. But now we think that we can do that. I said, then that's contrary. Mm -hmm. That's not a biblical, that's contrary to the scripture mm -hmm. uh, in this. But, you know, one of the, one of, one of the uh, I call it a sad hallmark of Christians in the South. We're going to the South, 60s, 60s, 70s, was this whole idea of, a, of a authority, right? Biblical, uh, spiritual authority. And it was pretty prevalent in Christian schooling where we discouraged critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Like students were taught what to believe. Right. Not why believe this, not to do like the Bereans and search out and examine. Mm -hmm. uh, two things were pretty much taboo, critical thinking and intellectual engagement. Mm -hmm. Right. It was almost like, it, look at where the intellectuals landed. Right. right. The intellectualism landed them away from God, you know, mm -hmm. and so, you know, in the in the the curricular that was birthed in the South. Right. It really just it's just the basis of. You, you God ordained authority. And if God ordained authority says something, then you don't question that because you're if you question god ordained authority you're questioning god mm -hmm. and so we didn't and so i said i said I, i'm seeing some carryover right from that if you're asking a question well Bernard, it's pretty obvious isn't it and and and, and why are you having a problem with it I'm not having a, i promise you i'm not having a problem with it. i'm just trying to so when i stand up and an audience, as I have, and say, you know, when we were losing the culture, and I said, my concern is always this: if somebody comes up to me afterwards, as I have done, and said, but no, well, what is the base? What is your biblical basis? Because I noticed you're using scripture in these. So, what is the biblical basis for this? And so that I could, you know, just uh, the foundation. I said I would be at a complete loss as to what to tell them, because I basically what I'm doing is parroting what I have heard. And unlike the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, I have not examined the scripture to see whether these things are so. The Bereans did that. Mm -hmm. And the, the scriptures say they were noble in doing so. Mm -hmm. And so I said, so nobility would say, somebody says something and ask, yeah, and and, and 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 what's the basis for that? Where you right. know what is that? That's nobility. Yeah. But we dismissed it as you that's pushback, you you you're you're being obstinate, or you know what I mean, just like it's something that's wrong with questioning these authority figures who who say things and don't have to have, don't have to reference it or connect it to scripture. Right. Yeah. Um, as I've looked at the scriptures, um, I don't ever see Jesus, like you said, trying to change culture in the abstract. 
he's always engaging an individual life. He's always personalizing that to the individual. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, later on in history, you know, through past the time of the apostles, when Christianity became the government religion, and Constantine legislated that in the Roman Empire, and now it was yeah, you're gonna you're gonna obey. Or we're gonna chop your head off. You know, you're gonna right. obey. Or we're gonna put you in prison <laughs> right. or something. Right. Um, that was really where you saw the church going going off, right. and it's an attempt to moralize society. Right. And like you said, you can you moralize the fallen, sinful heart of man by putting some type of rules or regulations upon that? The entirety of Scripture suggests against that. And when we think we're going to moralize the culture right. right it's it's really how do we affect an individual to see a life transformed and it is when the life is transformed and people become light and salt right they can you know they can affect change right. in the world but i i, I even I to the really point cynical. i would add to that brother jeff that uh even if they saw us even like Paul, who's very vulnerable in Romans chapter seven, right? He's very transparent in this. And we're not repulsed by his transparency, his mm -hmm. struggle, the things I want to do, I don't do. Very things, you know, uh, it's no longer I, but it's sin in me. He's recognizing this and uh, it's very, very transparent. Even Because I said, you know, many, many years ago, I came out, I'm a diabetic. And I came out in my struggle with I'm addicted to cards. As uh, you know, you know, I, I struggle with this, and the reason that it is so telling is because it impacts my, it, it impacts me half life. It is a struggle. I was a closet <laughs> uh, uh, sugarholic. Mm -hmm. You know, I just said, "Hey," and my conviction is that, but Lord, self control in two places, uh, in, in uh, Galatians uh, chapter five and in First uh, Peter chapter, chapter one, in two places, we're told that self-control is a, is, is a hallmark of, of the Christian life, the fruit of the spirit, mm -hmm. and it's a virtue, right? And I said, and I said, I struggle. I even called around to three Substance abuse places. Uh, I was ready, ready to check myself in. You know, mm -hmm. I told, and uh, this is way back, and they thought I was be, being a prankster. So this is right. a serious matter. I said, "Sugar is a substance, mm -hmm. and I'm abusing it." And I recognize that self-control is the fruit of the spirit. It is a Christian mm -hmm. virtue. But like Paul, right? I said. I own that it is a struggle and overcoming it because I won't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll ever be like, oh, I'm free from this. Right. It's something you have to overcome. But I said, but look, but look at how many of my colleagues are overweight. Right. I said, that means that you, you have some kind of eating, either that you have an eating disorder, you're not, ex, you're not exercising bodily 
uh, discipline that is pretty good. And I said, because it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. You would own, I, I mean, how times I've heard folks say, oh, I'm on this diet, I'm on this diet. I said, you would own that it's a struggle. It's mm -hmm. a struggle to self-regulate. Then how do we expect to regulate? How do you expect to regulate the folk out here when it is, I know, I'm, I confess, I came out years ago <laughs> with mine. I mean, really, man, I, I was so, I, was, I, would, I would know when the hot donut sign was on at Krispy Kreme. <laughs> I would make an excuse. I'm going to go buy some milk or something. I would go and I would, I would get a, a half dozen, eat them all and hide, and hide the evidence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My children, they, they talk about me to this day. <laughs> I lived yeah. at Marsh's Bakery. And, yeah. and Dad, why did we ever see anything from Marsh's Bakery? <laughs> <laughs> I said, kid, if I could have taken it in the arms, I would have. <laughs> 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 I said, I own it. And, uh, and I recognize that. that's why I'm so sympathetic mm -hmm. toward their abusers, substance abusers, alcohol abusers. I understand. I said, the only difference is mine was a legal substance. Because I right. tell you what, if sugar had been illegal, I guarantee you I would have been a criminal. Yeah. Right? I said, it's just a legal substance. Nevertheless, it's an addictive substance. And I said, we struggle with this, right? Paul, like Paul was transparent about this. I said, if the world saw that, I'm telling you something, it would be more attractive than this condemnation that we're just reaping. We're judging them, condemning them to hell you know, et cetera, because of their behavior. When I said, look at us, come on, people, <laughs> you struggle too. Your struggle is just legal, right? <laughs> but it's still the same. It's a lack of being able to self-regulate. Like we want the world to be able to do. And I said, you're not going to win them that way. Nobody was ever won by being rejected. The way that win is by being ex accepting. And that's why the scripture says, and Jesus could identify with us. Right? He, became, he became one of us to connect with us. Not without, without sin, of course, but he connected with us in our humanity and I said that is the first order of transformation it's accepting mm -hmm. people are not born by rejecting they're one by accepting when he said, listen i'm among you as one of you but here's the difference that's how we that's how you claim a society, you know, I don't know about reclaiming. That's how you, that's how you win people. That's how my classmates were won, <laughs> If I had gone in, Mr. Self-Righteous, and y'all are going to hell because you're cheating, you know, and et cetera. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look at, we're not there preaching in the hallway and passing out tracts. And things. I don't want to warn anybody. 
Mm -hmm. And I said, that's how we're trying to win. When we talk about claim and reclaim the culture, that's how we're trying to win society. Mm -hmm. uh, if I, I would say, no, somebody who's bent on us not winning has sown that strategy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he yeah. said, here's the way you do it. Mm -hmm. Condemn them to hell. They're going to get so tired of rejection that they're going to surrender and give their lives to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you. Um, I'm reminded of a comment by C.S. Lewis when he talked about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when it comes to dealing with the failures of the sinful nature. Um, not that the Christian doesn't have failures of the sinful nature, but the goal for the Christian is to get up and press on uh, and continue the fight. And I think, like you said, we often don't, you know, for people that get, that God saves and gets them out of some of those uh, habitual sin, we, we don't recognize the addiction of, of our sin. And we don't realize the paralyzing effect and the grip it holds on us. And even when we get saved out of that, the remnants, the baggage, the conditioning of that old nature still hangs on. And even if, you know, you, you hear the Apostle Paul say, I'm the chief of sinners here. Right. Right. I, you know, not like I have mastered this. Right. right. And so when you have somebody like that that says it, what makes us think that somehow we've gotten far past him uh, and we're able to, you know, stand up on a high horse and tell everybody else what they can and can't do or shouldn't, shouldn't do. Right, right, right. And again, it goes back to the log and the speck, right? We right. think that we can get that speck. Yep. If we master on your specs while I'm hiding my logs. Mm -hmm. Right? And then, and then that's why when it, then you know something happened, it'll come out. You hear about these uh, yeah. major failures, you know, that it becomes all public and everything. And so it was always there. Yeah, it it just, was always there. Uh, just the nature. But what what makes it the 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 uh, like. My brother here, Ted, Ted Hager, what makes it so bad is that you preach so hard, so condemning against that now the world gloats. Right. Because yours has been, but whereas if you had been transparent, right, then you would have a sympathetic response because we would say, wow, they identify with that, even if you have identified. Uh, with them, it's just 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 a total opposite approach, mm -hmm. and we think that is what is going to transform uh, society, and that's what's going to bring back this amorality or whatever. And I thought, no, it's not founded in scripture. It's, it's mm -hmm. not going to work. You're following some bodies. The position, what they have, and we do like we do. We like to parent, you know. And we and somebody asks, well, where, where, what is that based upon? Where did, where did you get that? Right? We, we can't. We don't know like these terms. Some of these terminology, 
you know, folks like critical race theory, we just parenting. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, a lot of stuff. I'm finding folk can even tell you. Cancel mm -hmm. culture, what does that mean? You know, and uh, we just we just parent the world as opposed to bringing a biblical response is what we really should be mastering. Mm -hmm. And because the word is not going to return void. It is right. going to carry out mm -hmm. its purpose. All this other stuff is just the latest fad, the latest term, the latest contentious issue. And that's not what we should be mastering. Mm -hmm. right? we, we, what we should be mastering, like I said, we're distracted from that majoring on this over over here and <laughs> therefore we would never bring forth the solution because we are the solution right if we don't uh if we can't legislate things like substance abuse alcoholism robbing banks what makes us think we can legislate the deeper issues of pride diet we can't legislate diet mm -mm. <laughs> i mean most of my colleagues are obese in the faith I, i'm just, <laughs> just mm -hmm. my mind is hitting I, I, i'm on in my ass too now <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, we, but we can't legislate it we can't regulate it Right. Mm -hmm. So what makes us think? Uh, uh, finish your point. Did you? I just want. Yeah, no, that was it. Can we fix If you can't stop diet, how can you think you're going to fix the human heart when it comes to hatred, and when it comes to pride, and when it comes to self? Uh, you know, the the issue of our self above others or elevating right. ourself above everyone else. You know, how how do we think we're going to fix that if you can't help somebody? You know, do do these things that you would think are just more simple. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. That's why we have all of these centers, you know, and et cetera, all of this literature out there. It is uh, self-regulation mm -hmm. is extremely difficult. Paul was the first one to meet it. Mm -hmm. So then if I find myself doing what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who's doing it, but the sin that is in me. Oh, right. oh, oh, oh wretched man that I am. Who would deliver me right. from this body? Of that right, mm -hmm. all regular. Oh, think of again this debate about oh, that was Paul post pre Christian. Or something. He was saying that not but pre Christian, mm -hmm. he was speaking in the present, right? Tense. Yeah, come right. on now, right? And so, uh, and so, but even with that, you connect with this, you know, the same is true of you. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you might be good at hiding it, yours is hidden. You know, uh, you might you might be the, this smoker who could go behind the building and, and keep it out of sight, you know, but a lot of times I say it is glaring, it is evident. We wear <laughs> what we struggle with. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, and eventually, when we talk about all of these people we put up on a pedestal, 
I said, come on, people, you're not smart. You're like, you, the first thing you think, oh, Lord, I hope mine doesn't get it. <laughs> 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 I hope mine doesn't get it, <laughs> Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, the higher up you go on the ladder. Yeah, the, big, the bigger, bigger the fall. The bigger, the, bigger fall. the fall, exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, it has been a, an incredible joy talking with you and spending some time with you today. I don't want to Thank take you. up too much of your time. We've been we've been talking for almost two hours now, but wow. uh, I appreciate your time and I enjoyed it. I would like to do it again sometime soon as well. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a phone call, a text, or a Zoom, yep. by the way, brother. I'm serious. You know that anytime. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it's, that. It's, it's been equally enriching. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to my ACSI grave just with this, this um, often perplexed as to why we don't have these kind of exchanges. Mm hmm I, you know what I mean? And you can see I'm starved for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm just wired. To, this is not like a debate. We need to, as the people of God, be able to lay this stuff out here, right? Just like Jake Richardson, what Paul is doing, we need to mm -hmm. lay this out here, have this kind of, because this is the kind of stuff that builds up. Mm -hmm. We've said a lot, but none of what we've said has been tearing down. Mm -hmm. As a result of this time together, I have been built up, <laughs> right? Been wow. Built up in my faith, been built up in my relationship with you. Why don't we do this? I don't, I don't, I don't get it, right? Why don't we do this? Why can't I have this kind of conversation with my colleagues? What, what's wrong with this? You know, and even if we, well, we like I told, even when we disagree, that's building up. It's okay, because we can disagree in love. Mm -hmm. Well, can, yeah, that conversation. You know, just having the conversation, just the dialogue, yeah. that interaction, the interpersonal. And if you, I believe, if you come at those situations from a perspective that recognizes the the goodness, the value, the dignity, the humanity, the inherent, the divine, if you want to call it that, by being an image bearer, you come into those things, you know, you grow out of it, you Amen. learn, you become a better person, you start to see another, yes. absolutely, Amen. and so it's been incredible for me, and I just appreciate your time and taking the opportunity today. Same here, man, know it's mutual, brother. All right, blessings on you. Take care, have a great day. You Thanks, too. Dr. Gant. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Bernard Gant. I hope it was not only intellectually stimulating, but that it was challenging to you personally, as it was to me. So I appreciate you uh, tuning in to the Mindful Life podcast. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.